Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient tradition of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that, of course, um, is in increasingly popular, but not everyone understands its deep essential meaning as a oneness, a union, or unity, referring to bringing our attention and our awareness to abide consciously in our essential spiritual nature, to know what we are, the truth of our being, and then to live in harmony with it, to be restored to our original wholeness. In, in light of experiencing and knowing about our wholeness, today's topic is discover your dharma and do it on purpose. We're going to be taking some inspiration from the Bhagavad Gita and perhaps some glimpses of great lives. Each one of us has an individual dharma to fulfill, which we could think of as our own true calling. We want to look at the challenges we face in discovering that purpose for our life and how we can overcome them in order to really enjoy fulfilled living. And we are blessed today to be joined by Stephen Cope, director of Kripalu Institute for Extraordinary Living and author of the book, The Great Work of Your Life, A Guide for the Journey to Your True Calling. 
Uh, in addition to being the director of Kripalu Institute for Extraordinary Living, Stephen is a longtime senior scholar in residence uh, at Kripalu Center in Massachusetts, where he writes and teaches about the relationship between the Eastern contemplative traditions and Western philosophy and psychology. He's the author of three previous books, including the best-selling Yoga and the Quest for the True Self. Uh, the website is kripalu.org. K-R-I-P-A-L-U, K-R-I-P-A-L-U dot org. Welcome, Stephen. I am so delighted uh, to welcome you to the Yoga Hour today. Thank you, Ellen. It's great to be with you. And before we dive into our conversation about Dharma, let's just spend a moment uh, in a centering meditation. One reality, one life, one power, one presence called by many names is the support and the substance of all that is. So right where we are right now, this infinite allness is present around us, within us, between us, through us. So let's simply move our attention from the periphery of awareness into the depths. And we can use our breath to do this. Just breathing in, simply intend to pull your attention and awareness within as if you're diving into the ocean of divine consciousness within you, breathing out. Let go of any tension or restless thought activity. Breathe in. Dive in. Breathe out. Let go. How wonderful is the breath such a simple tool. Bring our conscious awareness to the breath, breathing in, diving in, breathing out, letting go. In just a moment of practice like this, we can begin to experience our Restless thoughts settle and glimpse that behind thought activity, sensation is the ground of being, pure, still, unmoving, unchanging. And when we touch that, we feel peace, peace emanating from the core of our being. So let's affirm that peace now and call it forth. Invite it to pervade our minds, the mental field, the emotional nature, the physical body. Let us inwardly agree to abide in that peace and to let it overflow as a blessing in every encounter today. Mm-hmm. 
Paramahansa Yogananda wrote, Analyze what you are. Analyze what you are, what you wish to become, and what shortcomings are impeding you. Decide the nature of your true task, your mission in life. Endeavor to make yourself what you should be and what you want to be. Now, this is um, a very good statement about dharma, about what it is to discover it, to act to fulfill it, our dharma or our mission in life, our sacred duty or vocation. When we discover this, when we then begin to do what is ours to do, we not only lead a more centered and fulfilling life, but uh, we enhance our ability to make a contribution to the world. And really, uh, the teachings of yoga tell us that there is a contribution that we eat, we are all um, uniquely given to make. Sort of, as Stephen, as you note in your book, sort of like a, a fingerprint that that we have a unique contribution to make. Uh, in your book, the great work of your life, you draw upon the Bhagavad Gita for wisdom about uh, dharma, about this journey to our true calling. And um, for those familiar with the Bhagavad Gita, we know that you know the whole first chapter is the despondency of Arjun, where he is paralyzed by doubt about whether he um, should fight the battle before him. He's poised to fulfill his dharma as a warrior, yet he collapses uh, in the face of it. And then what follows, of course, is his... Um, there's this initial refusal and then this profound teaching about the nature of dharma and the importance for us of embracing it. So how how do you see the Gita itself as a guide for answering our questions about dharma? Um, first of all, let me say that was a beautiful meditation. Um, I'm, I'm going to start listening to your program regularly just to get your meditation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, the, the, the Bhagavad Gita is, is probably the most comprehensive document on the idea of vocation or sacred duty um, that exists in world literature. Indian society at the, at the time that it was written back in about the 3rd century BCE was really based on this fundamental idea, the idea that every individual has a role and the whole thing, society only hangs together if we play our idiosyncratic roles. I, I talk in the book about that great early, the, probably the earliest teaching about Dharma, which is Indra's net. Um, Indra, the great... Um, God, the greatest God of the Vedic pantheon, all the way back to 1500 or 1000 BCE. Um, there was this notion that Indra, who lived on Mount Meru, had had thrown a vast net over the entire universe, and um, at the warp and woof of each strand of the net was a jewel. That jewel represents a soul, an individual soul, and it's that individual soul's job to hold together that part of the web or the net, this great vast web. Mm-hmm. So even way back in, in Vedic times, we get this really interesting connection between individual duty and the social good, mm-hmm. so, or even individual fulfillment in the social good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Gita, which comes along many centuries later, is 
is meant to integrate this idea with all of the other streams of yoga, with Raja Yoga and Bhakti Yoga and Nana Yoga. But the primary concern of that document, of the Gita, was really to help us learn how to live life in the world as a spiritual practice. Prior to that time, um, the yogis, yogis by that time were on to the fact that grasping is really the root of suffering, desire. And so, but most of the practice until that time had been finding ways to stifle desire, stifle grasping. Now this fantastic scripture comes along, the Bhagavad Gita, and it's all about harnessing desire, turning it into aspiration. As, as Krishna says, this is the passion that is not contrary to the Dharma. So he comes up with these four very simple principles for living your life as a spiritual practice. First of all, and you and I will talk more about this in a minute, know your Dharma. So discern what your calling is. Secondly, do it full out. Bring everything you've got to it. This is called the doctrine of unified action. Third, let go of the outcome. So Krishna says, whether you succeed or fail at your dharma is not the issue. The issue is whether are you doing it and are you doing fully. Let go of the fruits. And fourth, turn it over to God, or as Krishna says to me, because we know Krishna was an avatar of, of God. So these four, know your dharma, do it full out, let go of the fruits, and turn it over to God or to something greater than yourself. And, you know, I've been teaching these principles for years in my courses at, at Kripalu and in the institute that I run there. And I have to say, these four principles really, they really work together. People get them, they start practicing, they see the way in which it culminates in what the Bhagavad Gita calls inaction in action. In other words, life becomes a kind of a, a more effortless flow. There's a certain ease in living in the world, and we, we're not the doer of our actions when we're living in this way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So if you look around you in your life, you'll notice, wow, there are people who are living this way. They seem to be surrendered to their work in the life in in this life um there's a there's a, a beautiful craftsmanship and effortlessness about it and they're um they 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 almost disappear or the ego disappears into mm -hmm. into the work so again mm -hmm. um you're free in in this view to bring all of your passion into your dharma so this is the passion that is not contrary to the law as, as mm -hmm. krishna says so and we, I find it a really great text for that way of living, Ellen. It's so comprehensive, isn't it? And it, and this way, I mean, I hardly know where to begin, you know, to, to sort of put my finger on the pulse of this. But, you know, as you've, as you've described, um, what the Gita offers us is a key to freedom in action you know that's that's the crux of it and and you know this the gita begins with you know arjuna's despondency and his doubt about you know what he is supposed to do how he's supposed to act and then this whole revelation about you know once we get the clarity you know about who we are really uh, what we are and what is ours to do 
and then to be able to to act uh, in a way in accordance with our nature and in, and in that way brings freedom. You know, I, I find in um, speaking with people in the West and students in the West that, you know, we can... We, we all innately, of course, have a sense of a yearning to live a holy life. I like to call it a holy life because I find people resonate with that. You know, it, it, yep. it, it's a sense of living the soul life. But yep. we have not had, I don't think, a very good relationship with the word duty. You know, um, oh. uh, um, and when you look it up, even you know it means something onerous, right? Something that exactly. you don't that, that you yes. don't want to do. Um, so here we are with this wonderful teaching from the East that gives us the word dharma that sounds so much better than duty, <laughs> but <laughs> but of course it is that. So um, yeah. before you know, and in the next segment um, after the break, we'll we'll talk about these specific things that you have mentioned about. You know, discovering your dharma and doing it on purpose and doing it full out. But before we get there, let's go back to this issue of doubt because, as I said, you know, I think people, uh, in a, you know, inherently have this sense of yes, uh, a holy life. I resonate with that, um, but I'm really not sure what it is for me. And even, um, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, that's really where most people begin, don't you think? Absolutely. And it's very interesting to explore doubt from the point of view of, uh, of the Gita. So, you know, those of us reading the Gita, we love Arjuna because he's just like us. He's, he's neurotic and carping and complaining and whining and absolutely in doubt at the beginning of this, of this book. He, he's on the floor of his chariot. He says, conflicting sacred duties confound my reason. And then Krishna pulls him up um, and, and, and teaches him. But what is doubt? So in a scripture that's about sacred action, that's about duty, that's about action in the world, doubt is seen as the central torment or affliction, whereas in the earlier scriptures it was all about grasping and aversion. Now when we're dealing with action in the world, um, it's, it's doubt. And the definition of doubt here is not quite our contemporary definition, which is kind of like <clears throat> a discerning um, skepticism and, and inquiry. This, this means really split, the self that is split inside between two poles. So we all experience this every day. You come to a crossroads. Should I, should I marry this person? Should I take that job? Should I leave that job? Is it time to retire? Uh, those are kind of the big questions, but every day they're little questions. You come to this crossroads. How are you guided? How do you know how to decide? I, I, I love Robert Frost on this issue because Frost, the great American poet, was always writing about these moments where you have to make fateful decisions. Mm-hmm. So two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. You know, there, there he is at the crossroads. He looks as far down one as he can, um, and he can't see where it goes. So this moment, this, crossword, this um, crossroad moment is, is absolutely essential in Dharma. Um, and the way out, according to the scripture, is at that moment is beginning to develop a discerning mind, a, re- 
reflective mm. mind that has perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, in of course, in the yoga view, there's the idea that there is this higher part of the mind, awake mind, mm-hmm. lumen mm-hmm. mind, that actually has a panoramic view of these things and can make wise, discerning choices. Yeah. And so, you know, I was I was interviewing Deepak Chopra a few weeks ago about about Dharma, and he said, you know, moksha and Dharma are really the same. And I had mm. to think about that. And what he <laughs> means is, so we come to that crossroads, and it's very likely that the consciousness we have currently is not going to be expansive enough to help us make that decision. We need to expand. We need to do our practice. We need to raise our consciousness or our um, life state, if you will. Mm. And so the in those moments of doubt, uh, the answer is investigate the doubt, discerning mm. mind, rely on the witness and on witness consciousness. Um, this this higher part of the mind that that um, that you and I both and and all of our listeners have uh, at least some sense of. Mm, and when we we're going to take a break in just a moment, and when we come back, um, let's focus in on this um, more. So we come to that crossroads, and you know what is it that helps us make that decision? You're talking about you know tapping in um, to our ability to discern with higher mind. But there's also you know uh, what we're going to call North Star there. You know, beginning to discern what that is in our life and how yeah. we're guided by. That. And I just want to plant the seed for the listeners to say I loved the part in the book where you point out, um, you know what, we really can't be anyone we want to be. And uh, that's a very interesting thing. That's a very interesting point. So when we come back from the break, we're, we'll take a look at that. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Stephen Cope. Uh, from Kripalu, and the website is kripalu.org. We'll be right back. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you'll give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the love offerings of listeners to continue operating and expand its outreach. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity online radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit Unity online radio and click on mobile listening.
spirituality into your own hands? Bucking corporate religion in favor of finding your own path? Do you cross the boundary between religion and science? Or between religions themselves? Do you like a dose of humor with your truth-seeking? If you answered yes, you're what we call a holy rascal. Join Rabbi Rami Shapiro for How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Central. Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and we're joined today by Stephen Cope, author of The Great Work of Your Life, A Guide for the Journey of Your True Calling. And um, we started off talking about how the Bhagavad Gita. Um, is such a profound work on the nature of really leading a fulfilling life, but and we can look at it through the lens of dharma. And um, before we went to the break, I, I, I put out this little teaser, uh, Stephen. In in the book, um, you you bring out what I would absolutely agree with, which is you know contrary to some of what we here in um, self-help kind of lingo, we really cannot be anyone we want to be. Um, (laughs) So uh, I'd love to hear you um, talk a little bit about that and, you know, how that relates to um, discerning and naming and embracing um, who we really are and what is ours to do. So um, that's a that's a big topic, and I'm going to invite you to do it. You know, in a couple of minutes. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, here we go. Um, <laughs> I have been really fussing with this question for for so many years here, and. There's several domains that I suggest that we look into in order to identify dharma. The first one is very energetic. Here's the question I usually ask people. What lights you up? What absolutely turns you on, lights you up? Do not censor. I I often have people do a, a little journaling about this, and I say, don't censor it. Don't give me what you think should be lighting you up or what your mother told you lit you up. What really lights you up? So, um, and don't be afraid of the mundane things here. Like, what, what are you reading? What fascinates you in the world? The world then becomes a kind of Rorschach test in which it, whatever's lighting you up th- out there is telling you something about what's inside. So, for example, my father um, lived uh, a life as a college administrator and was very successful at that, but he was lit up by other things, and he never trusted himself to actually follow those those other things, which I think would have given him much more satisfaction. So this is a very energetic, uh, energy is a kind of Geiger counter for Dharma. So first, what lights you up? Second, what are the duties to which you feel profoundly called in this life? Now, 
you mentioned earlier, and I think it's absolutely true, we have a, a misapprehension about duty. Duty here is not things that you should do that you don't want to do. Duty are things um, that you feel a deep call to, and this is a much deeper, more ardent call, maybe not as much lit up on the surface. Um, one of the things I say about this is, these are the things that if you don't do them, you will feel a profound sense of self-betrayal. Mm-hmm. So, for example, as a writer, oh, and, and you probably as a writer too, there's certain, I feel there's certain things that are my stories to tell, my mm-hmm. part of the world that I know, and I feel a duty to those stories, to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. So that's the second area. Look into, into those. Um, the third is gifts. What are your gifts? You know, there's a great view in kind of archetypal Jungian psychology that we all have a duty to our gifts. Notice what those are and see if you feel a sense of duty to those gifts. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the fourth is uh, one that you might not think of, but these are another window into Dharma, and, and these are challenges, illness, divorce, ordeals. These are things we usually take as interruptions to the flow of our life, but you can also reframe them as call, as callings. So um, I happened to see Oprah interviewing Magic Johnson the other night, um, mm. and um, she was, uh, and, and and it was basically a Dharma story. He was talking about his illness and the mm-hmm. way he reframed it into. Uh, into a great dharma. So in the book, I tell the story of the great Jungian analyst, Marian Woodman, who got cancer, um, who was a death sentence, and she said, rather than see this as an interruption of my life, I'm going to see this as my current calling. She brought Mm -hmm. everything she had to the investigation Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And then finally, just one more, Ellen, the, the, the last domain I'd say is Pay attention to where doors are opening in your life. Be very careful about going through closed doors. I'm not saying never do it, but the universe has a way of guiding us, and when doors are closing all over the place, look for the ones that are opening. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the five domains that I've found fruitful in terms mm. of discovering Dharma. Thank you. I just, I feel like you have, you know, given us a, a treasure chest this morning for our, our Dharma work. Um, so I just want to, um, restate, see that I got what you said and so our listeners can hear it again. So you, you started with the question, you know, to look at what lights us up. You know, what, what gives us that sense of energy or perhaps puts, puts us in touch with the soul's joy. And of course I'm adding in what you didn't say, but oh, just, no. am, am I getting it right? You know, what what lights you up, and um, and then the second one was you know what are the duties that that we feel um, profoundly called to, um, and, and 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 I think it includes as you've said a sense that if we don't do that, um, we feel a kind of nagging, you know, like we're missing um, something that we're supposed to be doing. And third is taking a look at our our gifts. What are some uh, uh, talents that we have, and you know uh, the duty that we have to cultivate those gifts and to bring them out and express them. 
take a look at uh, the challenges that we've had in our life and not so much through the lens that they prevent us from doing our dharma, but what might they have to do with the dharma itself? And last, to pay attention to where doors are opening uh, in our lives. So, so what, it, and that has to do with our uh, relationship with the whole of it, you know, with the universe and how it is that we um, sort of find our path, that cooperative path through divine uh, grace. This is a really a wonderful process. These five um, questions for reflection are, are a real uh, gift. Um, and speaking of gifts, I'd like to just go right in the middle of these five that you've you've talked about um i think one of the things that happens and and you do explore this uh in your book um that you know i think most people are aware of gifts that they have but it is a rare person who trusts their gift um you know and who feels you know we're back to doubt again you know we think we have gifts but you know we think well you know i'm really not that good at it (laughs) and um exactly and but that leads to you know this whole segment of the work that you talk about where what's required of us in our dharma to bring it out is um really a discipline and disciplined life and practice so tell us a little bit about that that sense of gift and you know i think we have the idea that you know we're supposed to be a a, a savant you know in our area of dharma <laughs> um but really the gifts are more like seeds and we have work to do exactly well the gift thing is interesting Ellen because when I do in workshops when I work with people around their gifts I discover that people are very poor at self-assessing what their gifts are you ask your best friend or your husband what your gifts are and he or she will have a more accurate list of your gifts than you do This is where another area of discernment is really checking in with our surround of relationship to find out, um, to to look into their more clear mirrors about about who we are. So, yeah, the the self-assessment of gifts is is complicated. Now, I think I just um, reframe the question. I think I... Um, well, that's all right. I was just talking about how, you know, we do have a sense, I think, uh, you know, that we, we do have certain gifts, but along with that, you know, for many people that I work with or see, or even, you know, my experience of myself is there's, um, a doubt that goes along with that, you know, a sense of, you know, well, it's not really that I'm not really that good at it, and so you know that couldn't really be my dharma. Um, oh, that's that. Now I'm on track with you. So this mm-hmm. is really interesting. This is a proviso. Most people in in our world have something that I call the romance of dharma, which is they have a very inflated sense of what it would be like to have the dharma, and um, there's a certain grandiosity in it. In other words. Okay, in order to find my dharma, I probably have to leave my job selling mm-hmm. insurance and go to mm-hmm. Paris and paint. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. The truth exactly. is, 
it's almost certain that your dharma is already in your life somewhere. You've probably got your hands at least partly around it. The most For most people, dharma discernment is just about identifying it, naming it, aiming at it. Aim is, is almost everything when it comes to, to dharma. Maybe paring away everything that isn't dharma. So this whole idea of naming it, for example, in the book I tell the great story of, of Walt Whitman, who discovered, even as he had just published Leaves of Grass and was being feted in the um, national literary circles, he discovered this deeper, more ardent dharma to become a nurse in the Civil mm-hmm. War. And he had to find a name for himself, so he carried around this this leather book in which he wrote um, fragments of poems and his stories. And on the, on the front of it, he inscribed his title, Soldier's Missionary. Mm-hmm. He discovered this dharma. He discovered who he was. He named it, <clears throat> and that helped him to, to own it and aim at it. So it's kind of about naming and claiming. The same thing happened to Thoreau. Thoreau had this <clears throat> grand notion that his dharma would be to be a great writer. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he moved to New York City and tried to mingle with the, the, the literary greats of the day, and he was a total success, or, I mean, failure. It wasn't until he, came, he, he realized, that's not who I am, that he turned around, went back to, to Concord, Massachusetts, that was when he went to Walden, built his little cabin, and at that moment, having pared away everything he wasn't and identified who he was, and he said at the time, I'm a poet, I'm a mystic, um, there's a certain quality of he was willing to embrace being the town loser, and, um, and then his genius really flourished. So for the next two and a half years at Walden Pond, Having taken ownership of who he was, it ignited. And guess what? It wasn't that big. I mean, he, he published very few books in his own day. He was widely seen as, as an embarrassment to the town. Walden, his cabin at Walden was not that far from his mother's house. His mother brought him <laughs> cookies and sandwiches at lunch. It was seen as this big deal in retrospect, but actually, it's more like our dharmas are about our little corner of the world. It's our little corner of the world for us to to perfect and to affect. Mm. And so, you're really right in raising the problem of grandiosity about mm. dharma. Mm-hmm. And I think that that expectation um, becomes one of the biggest barriers that people have to embracing their dharma and uh, and getting on with it. And um, you know, and the people that the quote unquote ordinary people and the uh, the famous people that you um, tell us about in in your book, um, one of the themes, you know, that you're working with is intentional living, which I really see as the definition of yoga anyway, (laughs) you know, this intentional living. And, um, 
And that, of course, is a key to um, fulfilling our dharma. You know, we, we can't be anyone we want to be. We can't do everything we would like to do. Um, and there's, uh, uh, it's essential that we discover what it is we're going to put our energy into and then arrange conditions in our life uh, to support that. That, And, and you talk about, um, you know, doing our dharma on purpose and um, offer this uh, practice of uh, unified action. So before we go to the break, can you just tell us a little bit about that? Well, you alluded to this earlier, I think, in your meditation. So much of contemplative practice is based on the idea of concentration, gathering, focusing your energy, bringing your energy together like a laser. Um, this practice of the of inaction and action um, is is a contemplative practice. So the the very first step is once you identify your dharma, is bringing all of your energies together to support that. So I've learned that in my writing. When I finally get clear about what I call a Dharma assignment, whether it's a book or an article, where I'm clear, okay, I'm called to write this, now what happens for me is I kind of organize all of my energies around it, like an Olympic um, athlete (laughs) in training. Mm -hmm. I'm careful Mm -hmm. about how I sleep. You know, I want that pint of Ben and Jerry's chocolate fudge brownie ice cream at night, but I'm... I realize I won't be clear in the morning for my writing. Mm-hmm. So you, you, how you eat, breathe, sleep, um, you know, the choices that you make begin to revolve around this, this sacred duty. And there are many things that you have to pare away um, or, or may have to pare away so that your energies come fully in support of whatever it is you've, you've been called to do. And um, so there's a certain kind of way in which everything lines up like a spine, like the, you know, the spine in yoga. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I tell a number of stories of, of great folk in the book, Robert Frost, you know, who it took him decades to figure out that he was going to claim poet. That's who he was going to be. And then when he, when he did, he started making these choices that fully supported, that, that created the right conditions for poetry to come forth. Mm-hmm. He bought a farm in New Hampshire, and he wasn't a farmer, and he never really farmed the thing. What he did was hang out in a way that really supported his poetry. Mm-hmm. Susan B. Anthony decided that her primary dharma was women's suffrage. She organized her life around it, so she was kind of a guided missile of, of um, mastery around that. So it, it's actually it's a lovely moment when you begin to get clear about your calling. You take ownership of it, you name it, and then you start to organize your life around it in a way that, that unifies, back to use that word that you mm-hmm. used in your lovely meditation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I mean, you're really describing the crux of yoga itself, you know, to arrange conditions in life, um, to be what we are, to do what we have uh, come to do. 
We're going to take another quick break, and uh, when we get back, um, we'll continue this conversation about Dharma. We'll be right back with you. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your hosts, Reverends Dale Worley and Christy Snow, are alive with the Spirit of God and singing their love to you. Each Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Music speaks louder than words when you sing. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org, and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and our guest today is Stephen Cope, director of Kripalu Institute for Extraordinary Living and author of the book, The Great Work of Your Life, A Guide for the Journey of Your True Calling. And I, I want to say um, to the listeners that I really was not able to put this book down. Um, it is so well written it, with ease and grace on this um, very deep topic, but in a way that makes it so uh, accessible. It's quite a masterful book, and uh, so I, I heartily recommend it for you. And in our last segment, um, Stephen, let's talk about really this secret of um, work in the world that can actually lead to uh, freedom. I mean, this is an interesting thing because, you know, most um, actions are seen as binding in some way, right? You know, when we think about doing our work full out, we think about, <clears throat> you know, ideas that we have of success or failure, and yet there's a formula that we find in the Bhagavad Gita um, that tells us how to find freedom in action. And it has to do with... Um, how we do what we do. So tell us a little bit about this approach to being successful. Um, you know, I think of uh, this sage, uh, Ananda Moima, who said, we have to care, but not care. So it, yes, it, it lives in there. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I keep thinking, Ellen, about my students at Tanglewood. So 
Um, Kripala Center in the Berkshires of Massachusetts is located right next to Tanglewood Music Center, which is the great summer home of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And every summer we, we work with 150 of the brightest young musicians at um, Tanglewood. These are kids who have finished their conservatory training. They're just about to go out into the great orchestras of the world. <clears throat> and um, we developed a program that, for a group of them, that delivered yoga and meditation uh, in parallel with their with their great music studies with you know the great mm-hmm. directors of of um, uh, the Boston Symphony and others. And so every summer for three summers, I told them the story of the Gita and the story of Krishna and Arjuna, and they um, began to see how they could live this way, this doctrine of inaction and inaction. Um, And it solved a number of problems in their life. First of all, these are kids who exhibited an enormous amount of grasping and clinging and craving to the outcome of their music. They've been practicing since they were two or three years old. Um, They were extremely perfectionistic. And so I taught them this, this series of four principles. Find your dharma. They got that. They were clear that their dharma was music and that they had a duty to it. Do it full out. They got that. The third principle where they got stuck was let go of the outcome. How do you do that? (laughs) Right. If if you've been trained to be a brilliant, uh, you know, musician, how do you let go of the outcome? So I had to show them, and this is one of the geniuses of, of the yoga tradition, the way in which grasping or clinging to outcome actually interferes with that outcome. Um, so uh, they began to see that uh, the, the genius of the yoga tradition, that, that dukkha, what we know as suffering or pervasive unsatisfactoriness, which comes from grasping or clinging to outcome, really paradoxically is guaranteed to screw up the, the outcome. Mm-hmm. And for for three reasons. First of all, when grasping the outcome arises, say for these kids and they're they're playing a great symphony, um, it disturbs the mind, and so all of a sudden the mind gets very uh, tunnel vision, goes into mm-hmm. all of mm-hmm. its default mechanisms. It's working on the most primitive part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So the I mind really- caught up in. Yeah, I was going to say, really, you know, when we're there, what we've done is narrowed into the ego self. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so they're they're holding on, and this does not promote their actually being present for for the music. Um, The second part, the second thing that happens with this kind of grasping for outcome is what the traditions call obscuration, which means you're not seeing clearly. These kids had no accurate self-assessment. They, they couldn't see what they were doing right. They could only see what they were doing wrong. So um, at any rate, as soon as they began to experience what it was like to study, to practice, but to let go of their huge grasping for outcome, all of a sudden they were present for the experience. They enjoyed the experience. Uh, mistakes, which are inevitable, did not um, did not really interfere with the performance. And 
what happened was it led to what we call fluid intelligence, which is the mind that's at ease is capable of this profound creativity and this deep presence. And all of a sudden these kids, and I say kids, they were 22 to 28, mm-hmm. were accessing this part of the mind that we know as yogis um, is, the, is the part of the mind that's really profoundly creative, and you use the word freedom, and free. And so I now get um, postcards from all over the world as these, these young musicians are now out in the great orchestras of the world that this little program that Krishna taught to Arjuna is really changing their life. Why? They feel that they can bring all of their passion to their musical duty, but it doesn't have to create suffering. Mm. That it creates a way for them to channel, to organize, to to gather, um, and to live in a kind of a flow state with their music, where action and awareness merge in this beautiful flow. And that's what we... That is possible for all of us in, you know, in in any duty or calling that you that you really feel is yours. You can develop this kind of mastery so that you're living in a flow state in what's called inaction and action, where you have the sense that your ego is not the doer. Mm-hmm. You've now surrendered to some larger doer, and that is a that is a moment full of profound mm-hmm. intrinsic fulfillment mm-hmm. that we all really want. We do, and it and it and it does require um, what we would call surrender. Um, you know, letting go of that grasping <clears throat> for uh, result. Excuse me. <clears throat> and I loved what you said. Um, mistakes are inevitable. Yes. And so um, it, it's living in a much larger uh, space, a much larger awareness, a much larger context where <clears throat> mistakes are, are held in that. Um, and there's, you know, I, I often think of that um, teaching story, you know, the, um, the, it's too soon to tell. You know, I'm sure you've probably heard that story about the guy who has the horse and, you know, it goes on yeah. and on and on. And it, what seems like one mistake after another turns out to be a doorway into the next good thing that's going to happen. And so, um, you know, I, I think holding that greater context for the work brings us that um, freedom. This has been such a delightful uh, conversation, and we're going to have to close here in just a moment. So I'd love to give you uh, the closing words, uh, if you could offer some encouragement uh, for our listeners who might be struggling with this idea of dharma. What is the the last uh, idea you'd like to leave them with today? Um, So... I would just like to say, again, careful of the romance of Dharma. Focus on what's already present in your life and where those little Geiger counters of, of energy and lit-upness are. Um, aim is so important. Aim it and name it. Also, you have to learn to tolerate times of confusion because, as Krishna says in the Gita, very often Dharma is surrounded by smoke. You have to learn to tolerate doubt and confusion but um, but stay with it. Stay with the investigation. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that consciousness is your greatest ally in this mm-hmm. discernment. 
And unconsciousness is the biggest enemy of Dharma. Uh, that's beautifully said. Thank you so much um, for being with us today. And thank you for this wonderful book, The Great Work of Your Life, A Guide for the Journey to Your True Calling. <clears throat> a reminder, you can find out more about um, this book and uh, Stephen's work at kripalu.org. Uh, join us next week as we continue our series on uh, ideas related to leadership and uh Prasad Kripa uh, will be with us next week. He's written a book called Acting and Leading with Wisdom. Um, oh, his book is From Smart to Wise, and it's about acting and leading with wisdom. So he'll be with us next week. And uh, remember to visit CSE's website, csecenter.org, and to subscribe to the Yoga Hour at iTunes. Let folks know about it on Facebook. I'll look forward to being with you next week. Until then, remember to let your inner light shine into the world and to share your peace and your joy with everyone you meet. Bye now. Thanks again, Stephen. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to consider these words from Unity author Charles Roth. Live deeply in the present moment. If you are going to work on the premise that real energy, real excitement, that feeling of being fully and enthusiastically alive comes from a source within you, then it follows that you have to spend some time getting acquainted, being at home in those far reaches of inner space. Peace is power, for out of stillness, strength is born, 
and out of inner harmony, productivity flourishes. Rest in that inner peace. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. What is the secret to happiness? Why do bad things happen to good people? What is our purpose in life? What must I do to bring healing into my life? Join Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday for a metaphysical romp. Explore fundamental unity principles put into action through real-life scenarios from people like you. Call in with your questions and spiritual challenges, and let Paul take you on a journey of profound personal understanding and transformation. That's Metaphysical Romp with Rev. Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology. Available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo, each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.